With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We all remember the glorious sporting summer of London 2012. 17 days of elite sporting competition hosted here on our own shores by a capital city exhibiting confidence, kindness and above all conditions contributing to success. Medals were being won across more sports than ever. New sporting superstars were born. The planning and the investment was paying off. But in amongst all the success, the champagne, the high-fiving and back-slapping, one sport was reflecting on a poor return. Traditionally, the highlight of week one, the aquatic centre, where the Union flag remained in the cupboard, the God Save the Queen CD was untouched. Swimming returned one silver and two bronze medals. Tom Daly added another bronze in the diving pool, but against sports like boxing, athletics, rowing and cycling, the swimmers had let the side down. What happened next was remarkable. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, where we meet the men and the women who run Olympic and Paralympic sport in the UK. I'm Michael. And I'm John, and we're here in Loughborough, in a building that is home to cricket, netball, volleyball, basketball and swimming. I'm Jack Butner, Chief Exec of British Swimming. And Jack, let's go back to London 2012 and that poor return that we highlighted. It happened not on your watch before your time. So what was it like to take over an organisation that had transformed itself at an elite level quite rapidly, but then an organisation with expectation? Yes, it, um, it happened quite quickly. I think um, uh, you, you're absolutely right to point out 2012, which was quite a low point. And I think that caused British Swimming to have a sort of a, a, long, a long look in the, in the mirror. And uh, certainly the trials went really well. And then the Olympics were really disappointing. So I think it forced a change in strategy, uh, which I think was really good. So the, the, the number of um, people getting on squads was tightened up. So the squads were tightened up and it was given a much, well, it was much, given a much stronger kind of a, I suppose, winning mindset with a clearer peaking strategy around major games. So, 
uh, that some really good changes were made off the back of 2012. And uh, hopefully we've got the foundations in place. Certainly Rio went well, and we'll probably come on and talk about that. But also hopefully we're in not a bad place for Tokyo less than a year out. And I talk about the Olympics and, and the poor return there, but the Paralympics was a pretty good return for British swimming. When you look at 2012, 39 medals, that was 10 more than athletics, 17 more than cycling. And that is, just give us an overview, part of your role, if you like. You've got elite swimmers at Olympic and Paralympic level. Is that the role of British swimming? That's correct, yeah. So I cover all the aquatic disciplines. So uh, swimming, diving, uh, and also um, para swimming, and I also cover disciplines that are unfunded by UK sport, which include uh, water polo and high diving. And um, we've just luckily managed to pick up a bit of funding for artistic swimming, or synchro as it's now known, which we're pleased about. And there's been a little bit of beef, shall we say, between some of the disciplines that you've you've mentioned there with with synchro and the swimmers having a little bit of a social media debate it must be difficult to try and straddle all those all those disciplines if you like Uh, it it is but at the same time it's fascinating i've spent all my life in sport in either big big sports or smaller sports so the issue of funding is always there and um you know what what you're being measured against and the strategy uk sports taken and um i think uh what I really want is sport to be sustainable so to try and find a way of getting clear on your strategy and then delivering against that and then trying to use the funding appropriately it doesn't always work like that but it's a nice idea and you the national governing body as you say for high performance so it's not about participation no we're similar to some other British bodies a bit like British Athletics or UKA where the home nation has been separate from the British body Um, now my former job I was triathlon and I actually for want of a better word covered covered the 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 journey in triathlon so I covered both England and and Britain whereas here I've got as it were more more of the elite sport but I don't I don't really go into participation although as anyone will say in this space partnership's the key so um, you know Swim England's in this building too I've just had a meeting with them and when you are separate organizations it's really important to be joined up as best you can you mentioned about the triathlon. So you were appointed to British Swimming in May 2017 and you described it as a great opportunity. What was the first thing you changed? Um, gosh, that's a good question. First thing I changed. I mean, I, I, I came in with some fairly tough stuff to get through um, in terms of um, para swimming. So there'd been this independent inquiry and I had to get to grips with that fairly quickly. So I'd say probably the thing that I was most concerned about when I came in was that there was... Um, a bit of a some legacy issues really from 2016 and so I did quite a bit of work just to kind of move that on and get a positive uh, approach around para swimming so I'd say that was probably the first thing I walked into and often with these jobs you never quite know what you're going to walk into and that was the thing I, I walked into probably there are other bigger things I've done which are maybe a bit less public such as look at our event strategy and things like that but that was that was the one I I tackled head on yeah you kind of arrived at the organization with this kind of growing storm that wasn't just swimming storm it was cycling it was rowing it was happening with with bobsleigh as well around bullying how important is it how difficult is it to try and marry up this idea that we want to deliver medal moments and being able to push elite athletes at an Olympic and Paralympic level to a point, but not too far. 
I think that's a hugely important and massively relevant question. And I think um, yeah, I spent my life in sport and Olympic sport, Paralympic sport is appropriately the most demanding environment. You know, you it asks more of you as an individual and the people around you, your families, the coaches than anything else. So in that sense, it is, you know, it's going to probably be one of the most, most demanding physical things you do in your life. So it puts a huge amount of pressure and strain on you as an individual and everyone around you. And as we also know, at the same time, the world has moved on. So how we treat and respond to people, how we think about their longer term health is also equally important. So I, I think it's tough. You have to make fine judgments within that about what's appropriate, what's appropriate feedback, how to handle that. Most of the time, we get it right, I would say. And I've been in sports for 30, 40 years and seen it from all sorts of different angles. But I think on occasions, it teaches too far. So it's, it's, it's trying to know where that line is between what's appropriate and what is appropriate level of challenge and what then shifts slightly and becomes inappropriate. And, you know, th things that were appropriate, language, terminology, um, maybe 20, 30 years ago, are not appropriate now. So our, our coaches in particular have to be incredibly skilled. And I think it, it puts a lot of pressure on them often. They've got to make real fine judgments. And often any of us who've been in sport will know the moment you can probably give your most effective feedback is probably the moment of vulnerability. You know, the moment you can really challenge someone is when maybe they've just failed or they're not going well. So how you give and receive feedback in that moment is also really important. So um, it's a fascinating area. And I think um, probably also the other aspect of that is this whole area of mental health. And we've probably done a better job in thinking about athletes' physical health than we have about the mental health. So we've got some catch-up to do on that. Um, uh, but I think I think we're learning quite quickly, uh, and also expectations change. You know, so expectations, and you know, I talk a lot to our coaches, and they um, the old style coaching model when you told people what to do doesn't work with young people. They want to be involved more in decision making, so that's challenging in itself. So how you move the the teaching and methodology on as well is also really important. Are you in a good place now, or is there still plenty to do? I think we're doing. I think we're doing all right. I'm actually pleased, I and mean, it's still. It's a this this whole area of giving and receiving feedback. How you do that, particularly with um, you know people today, is is moving incredibly quickly. And you look at all the research, and young people listen more to their peer groups and their teachers. So so how you move all that on is actually quite hard. And on one hand, it's relevant for elite sport. It's also probably relevant for teaching in general and it's relevant in club environments as well so I think we're doing okay but I think it's a new area for all of us and we've got to be so aware of our responsibility in this area um, so hope, hopefully we're doing all right but it's something I wouldn't want to take for granted and I think it has wider implications beyond just elite sport. One of the reasons why we wanted to do Great British Bosses was how people become CEOs and how they become chief execs. And when we spoke to Sarah, Sarah Sutcliffe at Table Tennis England, she was a lawyer uh, and then became a chief exec. As a former athlete, which you are, has that actually helped you being a chief exec with what you were just talking about, about relationships with the, the competitors? 
Um, I think it's um, a bit of both, really. I, I, I tend to see myself as what I call an insider-outsider. I think the danger with being from sport, which, which I'm from sport, is you become kind of stuck in the ways of thinking that have existed for a long time. And sport in many ways needs to change and subject to various forces is changing. So what I tried to do in my career was, um, you know, the core of it has been sport, um, uh, you know, as a competitor, then Adidas, and then in sports governance. But I've always tried to keep that outsider perspective. So I was a NHS non-exec director. I'm a trustee of the National Forest. So I try and look at sport, but I try and keep, you know, aware of, you know, not everyone is within sport and looks at it the same way I do. So having that outsider perspective, I think, is really important too. European gold, Commonwealth silver, world bronze. I mean, you were a world-class athlete in, in your own right. And were you a fan of swimming? Does it matter if you were such a big athletics performer that you can come in and run a sport that you haven't had experience of? Well, I would describe myself as a, a fan of sport. Um, probably my favourite sport is cricket as well. So that's a sport I love. So um, I, I would say i am a been a lifelong fan of sport. And I'm also a big fan of Olympic sport. So I love... Um, I suppose I love work, being privileged enough to be in the presence of Olympians. And, you know, the dedication, the perseverance. And, you know, I look at our you know, Olympians or Paralympians. And in some ways you can see their eyes in the same place as I was when I was competing. So I love, I love what the Olympics means and the Paralympics too, how it's this massive thing every four years. And it's kind of a turning point in people's lives. So I hope, hopefully I've got an an empathy for the whole movement. And probably also um, I, I have admiration for individual sports you know and obviously there's always a interesting dynamic between individual and team sports but athletics is a very individual sport some ways swimming is although it's got more team elements in some ways and then triathlon as well so i would say above all else i'm a fan of the the movement it's different in every part of the world but probably growing up being an olympic fan you always think as michael said earlier that swimming first week athletics second week they're the two big sports of of the olympics and you've got you know experience of both of these now when you were competing in the mid 80s drugs was kind of really uh, forefront of athletics um and sadly as we found in doha it hasn't it hasn't really gone away mm. uh, i want to talk about the swimming side of it in a moment but from an athletics point of view with your athletics hat on how disappointing is it as a former athlete that, that we're still having the same battles yeah, it is really. I mean, I, I think um, it, it's a, that's a huge question worth a podcast in its own right. It's a massive <laughs> We've question. We've done a few. <laughs> yes, and um, I guess it is. It is. Uh, it's really concerning. I think also, um, I've chatted to my former coach about this. I think also um, maybe I've always, always been a bit innocent and naive in, in these areas and seen the best in people. So you're always hopeful it'll go away. <laughs> but I also think now just the way technology and science has evolved, there's this kind of gray area, you know, and um, between things, things that kind of don't feel right and are just within the rules. So in a way, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I suppose I, I didn't have to make some of the moral choices now where things you can do things which 
have a benefit in performance, but you know they don't feel quite right and things like that. So, so I do I do still worry and care desperately about it, um, and, I, and I'm really sad it's there. I, I do genuinely believe that the integrity unit being set up by the IWF or World Athletics is a real genuine attempt to tackle that. And I, I think that we, we need more of that kind of thing where you set, set up independent integrity units and you start to try and get almost third party assessment and about what's right and wrong because it, it, it is difficult and challenging. Um, so uh, so I, do, I, do, I do care about it desperately uh, and, and hope that we can make progress on it. And just quickly on that, are you saying that kind of athletes and athletics kind of organizers they're kind of too close to it you kind of need someone to look from it from well, afar well, i think if you look at the setup of the iwf integrity unit that's what it's designed to do it's meant to be an arm's length agency i guess as wada is and things like that and i think sometimes you know having those having those agencies or you know it's like a kind of a ombudsman or you know kind of a third party um try to look at these um complex questions you know because they are quite complex some of these questions now and the whole gender and all of that it's a very some very complicated areas now and i don't imagine they're going away so i think having having third party agencies to look at that is probably the right way to go because it, it it's just really challenging you know and uh uh often to keep up with things and you know if you're if you're an organization that's primary primary role is to put on events and and uh, you know, produce great championships and things like that. This whole other area of moral purpose is, is in itself, it's, a, it's complicated. You put yourself, when you're an athlete, at the forefront of the, the war on drugs, if you like. I've sat in press conferences ahead of things like the anniversary games, the world championships, and seen athletes on the top table be asked questions about drugs in sport. And their body language suggests... Sometimes they're not interested. They roll mm. their eyes at you. They don't want mm. to talk about it. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a world champion, mm. if I'm a world record holder, and I feel I'm being cheated or there's someone in my event that's mm. cheating, I would be shouting it from the rooftops. Why do you think some of these athletes don't want to get involved in the conversation? Well, it's a really, another great question. So, yeah, I got very heavily involved at the time. This is back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, and I was really concerned about blood doping. And at that time, blood doping was only detectable for blood tests and blood tests were illegal in athletics. And I got to a point in my career where um, I just couldn't understand what was going on. And there were a whole group of runners and their performances would suddenly improve. And I beat them one week and literally a few weeks later, they'd win major games medals. And <laughs> it was just a bit like, what's going on here? And then the whole blood doping. So I, I, I did get heavily involved in it uh, and I got on the IWF Athletes Commission and I, I sort of got a bit campaigny about it the the problem for me was at that point I just it, it started to detract from my performance and when you are an athlete it's pretty one-dimensional you, know, you get up and you train and you know you clear your head of any other thoughts and I find myself you know doubting things questioning things and after a while it started to eat away at me so I think why those athletes at press conference you describe may not want to engage in the debate is their focus on their own performance. And I was certainly someone who wasn't very good at having a political platform and an athletic performance platform. And, then, and they did start to 
to compromise um, and, uh, and my performance definitely suffered and that was a factor in that so I think um, I can understand why people don't want to get in that debate and to some extent maybe it's the responsibility of us as administrators to drive that change on behalf of the athletes and and that so it's a it's a it's a chicken and an egg situation really um i can understand why they don't and i i i'm definitely a big advocate of things like athletes commissions now and trying to give the athletes voice you know you know that the appropriate appropriate sort of way of expressing itself but often those individuals when they're in the moment you know that's what they do and that's what they're good at doing so they they may not necessarily want to take on board that so I kind of understand that as well so have you spoken have you got a protocol is there a booklet somewhere that you've handed to Duncan Scott about (laughs) what he did and the stand that he took in South Korea at the World Aquatic Championships against someone that he obviously perceives shouldn't have been on that podium yeah gosh you're raising some good questions today yeah I think so yeah we did we did um uh we were uh, first of all i'm i'm always supportive of my team if you know what i mean (laughs) so the start point would be to be supportive of that um at the same time when i was in the middle of all that um you know um there was quite a lot of criticism from other quarters and what i tried to work with with fina at that point in time was trying to channel that debate through athletes commissions I and mean, things like that so we did actually when all that was going on you know we talked we talked to the team the performance director talked to Duncan we were very strongly supportive of him um, at the same time in a way you know again a bit like when I took a stand myself if you take a stand it doesn't actually always change the thing it's it's probably takes you need to engage in things like athletes commissions and things like that and then probably what I learned from taking a stand myself was that um, driving change in international sport takes time so you have to work through um, the legislative process you have to work through the international sports community and if you really want to affect change in international sport you have to work with the international community and sometimes um, gestures we make uh, don't necessarily land in the way you expect them to do in other countries for a variety of reasons. And so therefore, to really drive change, you have to kind of commit yourself to it over a long period of time, try and work through the commissions, push, push hard consistently. So um, I, will be very, I was very strongly supportive of Duncan and understand all of that. Um, and of course, the Sun Yan hearings coming up are going to be live on CAS, so that'll be interesting to see. But uh, I, I think there's, there's ways you can drive change as well as making medal protests. I think Seb Coe is learning that uh, as well, how, how you, you know, internationally can change people's minds. Yeah, so, I mean, Seb's done that. You know, if you look, he, you know, it's remarkable that having you know, done what he did with the London Olympics, he then went on and, um, you know, went back into as it were international sport to world athletics and you know it's demand you have to you have to you can't always see things through your british lens you have to sit through a european and then a global lens to try and drive change and it's getting the right tone of voice around that's really important as well we've asked you some tough questions so maybe a few easier ones for you why didn't you like apple farming 
Zealand. <laughs> well, that was a good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's um. So yeah, that was my big lifestyle change. I um. <laughs> it is a big lifestyle. Yeah, it was change. a lifestyle change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um. So basically, I was working at Adidas, um, and I got a really big job aged about 40 so I was marketing director at Adidas which was an incredible job in some ways it was a dream job but I just found that really conflicted with a young family so um, I did a very big lifestyle change packed in my job at Adidas and bought an apple orchard in New Zealand it was the sort of change you could have only made from America and when it went badly wrong which it did go badly wrong almost from day the one apples or everything <laughs> It was like a bad Channel 4 documentary. <laughs> Lost, out of place, didn't know what to do. I literally didn't know which way to turn. But all my British mates said, well, we knew that was going to happen. We always knew it was going to be a disaster. <laughs> Why did you do it in the first place? <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And then, but at the time, I was living on the West Coast of America, and everybody kind of goes, yeah, live your dream. You know, so I got this thing in my head. It seemed really exciting. It seemed a big lifestyle change. I get to see my family growing up, you know. It was just seemed like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but it was too big a change in my life. Uh, and I suddenly went from being Adidas marketing director to... Failed Apple. Apple farmer. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, <laughs> it, just, it just was too big a change in my life. And uh, I'm sure all of us go through points in our life when we think, what if? What about that? You know, and that was definitely my moment. And I, I probably went too far away from who I was. It was a total disaster. So back to swimming. Adam Peaty, how big a superstar is he and can be? Well, I think Adam, when you look at it, in some ways, Adam's like the Usain Bolt. You know what I mean? When you look at, you know, athletes or swimmers who've just like, Dominate, dominated their event and I mean I could make a massively powerful argument why Adam Peaty ought to be sports personality of the year this year you know when you look at his performances how he's redefined the event uh, it's extraordinary um, you know probably I suspect um, you know the British public will vote with Ben Stokes and you see the reasons for that so I think Adam is absolutely extraordinary and his performances this year in Guangzhou were once again incredible um, so um I hope he gets the accolades he deserves. Clearly, for anyone who competes in Olympic sport, it's what you do in the Olympics that matters. And that's what you're kind of defined by. So I'm hoping that Adam can continue his extraordinary performances um, in through Tokyo, which would be amazing. But I do feel he's... Um, what he's done is he's, he's, uh, he's redefined an event in a way that very few you know, great sports stars have. So he is incredible. And I guess as well, he's kind of captured the public imagination, hasn't he? In the same way that we've had this two-hour marathon, the, the project, if you like. Adam Peaty has had his project. He's one of your superstars. Tom Daly is another one of your superstars. Mm. But how do you manage Tom and how does Tom manage having to be Mr. Saturday night on the TV, but also winning medals at an Olympic elite level. Yeah, I think so. One of the things I've learned since I've been in this sport is how different swimming and diving is, you know, and they're completely different. In some way, diving is as much about gymnastics as it is about swimming. And actually, you know, a lot of the training, I think about 60% of the training is done on dry land. So it's a different type of sport. And also, I think it's got a different... It's more like gymnastics, a performance sport where you have to kind of present yourself. So 
uh, I mean, you know, the, the divers in themselves are performers in a way, you know, there's a bit more sense of theater around it. So I think it's an important part of their personality. And if you saw that wonderful thing the divers did on Tur- in Turkey recently, that clip about the... the Avengers The assemble. Avengers, yeah. But that's very divers. You know, they're quite theatrical. They're thinking about the performance and how they look and the style. And they have to kind of strut their stuff a bit. So I think um, it's understanding that whilst at the same time, you know, making sure that the disciplines are there when they need to be there. So, so um, hopefully, hopefully uh, they'll they'll get the balance right. I've met Adam Peaty and interviewed him maybe half a dozen times. I don't envisage he's the type of personality that would be on Strictly Come Dancing or Celebrity X Factor until long after he's retired. I don't think he would, actually. I think he's very much, um, uh, I guess, what you call in the zone. You know, he's absolutely... And I, I spoke to him a couple of weeks before Guangzhou, and I mean, I met a lot of phenomenal athletes in my time, and he was up there in terms of athletes who've got that look. And I remember seeing that look in the eyes of Daley Thompson or Alistair Brownlee or Sebastian Coe or Steve Cram or some, some of these people who are the you know, archetypal great British sports people where you're almost irrelevant, you know, and you feel that look. When they're looking at you, they're, they're talking to you, but actually they're not really talking to you. They're just not bothered, you know. And I, I, I get that completely. Um, uh, so uh, I, I think that's... That it wasn't that's, just me then. No, no, it wasn't just you. It wasn't just you. It's sort of like... Yeah, it half a dozen just, times, that's exactly how I felt every yes, time. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, they do the thing, but the, the, there's something ticking away in their heads. And I can remember that, again, that look I've seen in, say... Alistair Brownlee or the Alistair and Johnny at points in time talking to them and and then also exactly the same going back with you know some of the people I was lucky enough to run against um, and it's they're at the point in their lives where nothing else matters and in a funny sort of way no one else matters although they wouldn't necessarily say that to you or they might do but it's it's that kind of real in the zone moment so yeah how proud are you of Alice Tay and the guys putting on the para swimming um, world championships, which London stepped up for, you know, with literally what six months' notice. That was that was an amazing project. Yeah, something it's it's sort of it's fairly recent, but it was just wonderful to be involved in it. And I'm so, uh, it was just wonderful, really. It was just great to do it, and we made um, a lot of decisions quite quickly. And um, no, I was really pleased with it. I mean, it, it was interesting because I've got a background in the commercial sector adidas and in that commercial sector you tend to make quicker decisions and you're less you're less inclusive in your decision making process whereas a lot of the projects i do now multiple stakeholders you're you know you and what i tried to do in 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 that project was get the balance right between making quick decisions but also engaging stakeholders so I'm really pleased with the way it worked I mean we had some incredible stakeholders you know London were amazing UK sport were amazing the IPC the athletes everyone but we did have to make a lot of decisions pretty quickly in tight timelines and you know whether it was branding or decisions around the venue or events it was fantastic it was great yeah it was was definitely a, a highlight of the year and just a quick word on Alice, what she can do at the Paralympics. Yeah, Alice is absolutely up there again. And going back to that, you know, Alice is, um, you know, we met with Alice at the end of the season, had a good chat with her. And she's another 
phenomenal individual and she's still young and she's independent and strong and passionate about para sport and yes i think um almost there's also in a way that positive naivety where she's focused on the sport and she maybe doesn't appreciate what she might become and i think some of the risks will be around making sure she's got the right support around her to achieve everything she wants to achieve you know in the pool and outside the pool but she's absolutely got the talent and ability and 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 we're lucky it's not just her it's a really strong team and one of the highlights of those championships wasn't just her performances performances of the whole team and another generation sort of coming through and final one for me hunt best olympics in 100 years in rio can you match that swimming wise in tokyo I hope so. I mean, you never know. I hope so. I mean, I I think a lot of the building blocks are there. And when you looked at the World Championship this year, we did pretty well there. But we felt we left we left some medals there. So we've you know the team have made some good decisions. Um, I'm pleased with the way we move things on. So I'm optimistic we've moved things on. I like the way the performance programs developed coach is great same with the diving you know there's some just it feels like there's still work to do and it feels like everyone involved in the sport has got that sense so so yeah I mean you know you never know in elite sport and there were a lot you know I can't remember the number of um fourths we had in Rio but there were a fair number of them there so uh, I, I I think there's more to come Jack Buckner chief executive of British Swimming thank you for speaking to great British bosses from anything but footy thank you very much Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.